Welcome to 97 Floor Radio. Hey listeners, welcome to the show. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest before we jump in. Chris Bennett is the CEO and founder of 97th Floor, a digital marketing agency located in Lehigh, Utah. 97th Floor works with clients like Vivint, Salesforce, Discover, Time Warner Cable, Dell, ESPN, and X Games, to name a few. Now, Chris is passionate about all things digital marketing and has been involved in the industry for over 10 years. He speaks all over the world, both at conferences and universities, including SMX, Search Lab, Adobe Summit, and Dreamforce. And he was recently named one of the 10 coolest entrepreneurs in Utah by Business Q Magazine. Now, Chris, as we know, loves to teach and speak on marketing and entrepreneurship, and he constantly strives to share his knowledge as he's a firm believer that there is plenty to go around, and by teaching, you can learn. Let's give a warm welcome to Chris Bennett. So welcome to the show. Thanks for being our first guest. Thank you. I'm excited. I didn't actually know I was the first guest. You are the first guest. We thought it was fitting. Episode one. I guess that makes sense. We wanted to roll in style, and I heard that you had a top hat ready to... You know, yes. Be wearing, but... I thought we were going to be recorded, so I had my, <laughs> my top hat and tails ready. Sweet, sweet. So I do have three very specific questions, but before that, I want to, you know, let's first talk about you, 97th Floor, and kind of the history that leads up to you getting started in digital marketing, and then what, you know, has been created in the last so many years. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. Since I was a kid, I got really into graphic design and kind of marketing through graphic design um, really early on. Like when I was 12 years old, I would like uh, create um, logos of like my favorite companies and bands, mostly like uh, bands that I was into. And I would uh, like one of them I even sent to, I created a logo for one of my favorite bands back in the day and I sent it to them and they, they wrote back to me and they're like, this is awesome. We might use this, you know, stuff like that. And I don't even think they ever did, but I, re- I was like way into that kind of stuff early on. I mean, that was probably like 14 years old. My dad um, saw that both my brother and I, who's a couple years younger than me, were really into computers. And, and this is in like 94, I would have been 14. So um, there wasn't, you know, not everybody even had computers yet at their houses. Um, so he invested a lot of money. He got us a nice computer. As soon as Photoshop came out, we had it. And we would just play on it all day. And before Photoshop, it was paint, like honestly. And we were creating stuff and doing stuff. And then as soon as, um, uh, when I was going through school, high school, and um, starting in college, again, the like, internet was like very, very new, dial-up, uh, no classes on anything internet-related. And I really liked the graphic design side. Um, but I started to really look at like how businesses could change with websites and things like that. And I really just had a, a notion that, you know, this is the future. And if you're not doing something digital, like you're not going to exist one day um, as far as business is concerned. And so I really got into it that way. Um, had a, real, a lot of communications and advertising influence and things like that. And my brother came up behind me and he was younger. And so by the time he started going through high school and college, there was more um, like web development classes. So he got really into programming and, and web design. And so he and I kind of played around and started doing stuff together, our own little websites um, and things like that. I would handle the marketing side. He would handle the website. And we kind of just grew this little passion um, for it all together. And I was really fascinated by both traditional marketing and online and the fact that the traditional side of where you could literally write something a certain way and convince somebody to give you their money, right? Like that just, 
that just blew my mind. Like you can like writing something a certain way can actually convince more people to give, you know, give you their money versus like writing it another way. You could write it another way and like no one would respond to it. Mm-hmm. And um I really liked that. I really fell in love with that. Um, not in the sense of just trying to take people's money, but in the <laughs> sense of like how powerful that is, mm-hmm. uh, how powerful imagery is and words are and, and things like that. Um, so we were playing around, starting a lot of our own little websites and things like that. He kind of started his own little web design consultancy group. I moved up to Utah from San Diego area when I was about 20 two or 23 around um, for a job that actually did internet consulting so I was really excited because it was something that you know call I couldn't like go get a degree for it in school I actually quit school went up to to take the job um, and I just fell in love with it and I was consulting small businesses on how to grow their businesses online and um, I just like just dove into it when I get off gonna get home from work I just come home and read stuff online and test stuff and play with stuff I thought it was also really cool kind of the same respect as um, the marketing science I also thought it was very cool that somebody could compete with anyone on the web I thought it was really cool that I could help these people who worked out of their house like outrank a huge company on Google um, and compete with them and so I kind of just fell in love with the whole thing and the whole David and Goliath thing of the internet I felt like anybody could compete compete with anyone if they had the knowledge and the the kind of the gumption to do it and um, about a year or so year year or two so after I worked for that company I kind of saw the writing on the wall that the leadership was really young there wasn't going to be a lot of opportunity for me to go anywhere the company wasn't really growing laterally like in a place where a lot of the lower end employees could grow um, it was very top heavy and so uh, and there's also some things that just the way they they went about it and the way they, and they didn't really focus a lot on the internet side as much as I, I wanted them to so I quit and I started 97th floor um, so that's been it's been 10 years since I started doing my own thing this last July 97th floor is a company like actual corporation will be 10 years old next July um, which is really cool because most companies they say you know fail before they're ten years old, and we've never been stronger. That's awesome. Now, as far as starting your own company, coming from where you did, where you know you didn't feel like there was the opportunities, did you have like a finite idea when you started Ninety Cent Floor of what you wanted it to look like ten years from then? Yes and no. So. In the beginning, it started out as, hey, I'm going to play around on this internet thing. I'm going to help other people do it too, and hopefully I can pay my bills. <laughs> Ever since I was a kid, though, I always thought it would be really cool to like own an advertising company. Mm-hmm. I always thought, and, I, and, and when, I was, when I was in my teenage years, it was more graphic, the graphic design side thought. But, um, so I did kind of always have that thought in my head, and I always had the thought in my head of, like doing it for world-class companies and really cool clients. So it was always a goal of mine to get like really big, cool companies and clients. Um, not just as a, I kind of had it at, you know, as a sense of you made it when you have big companies like that willing to trust you. Like you, you, you're obviously someone if, if a big company um, is willing to, you know, pay you to do their marketing and to help them and I kind of had that there as kind of like a way to kind of tell if I really made it or not and then or the company itself the brand made it Mm -hmm. um but yeah so I mean I it was kind of always this hybrid thing but at the same time 
when it first started, I was more a consultant and I could work when I wanted. I can work from home. I could travel a lot. We didn't have kids yet. My wife and I would travel a lot and we'd work, you know, I'd work from the laptop and stuff. And so I really liked the freeing side of it too. And so a couple years in, I was actually kind of against the notion of maybe like growing and having payroll and like having HR and like dealing with all, I just looked at all that stuff as like, um, maybe superfluous and like headaches that didn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, took me a really long time to kind of make the switch to realize like to really build a world-class company, you need a team. Um, and that was a lot of pride on myself and, and also just, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm glad it took a long time because the way then I became more convinced myself, you know, instead of like doing it just because people told me to, um, because I'm really happy with where the company's at right now and I could care less if like I could have got it to where it is now five years earlier or anything like that. I really like the journey that it's been on. Well, let's talk about where the company is now. I mean, it's it keeps changing almost on a quarterly basis um, from what yeah. I've seen, but from what you've seen in your perspective. Yeah, it's um, crazy. <laughs> tell us about where it's at now. Like, So we started out basically just doing SEO, link building, things like that for small businesses. I had a friend who had a catering company. That was my first break. I did it for him for free. He had a lot of family members that owned catering companies in other states, and they saw how well his business was doing. It basically went from him and his wife um, cooking and delivering and serving the food to the second largest catering company in Utah in a year. And, uh, so it's crazy. They went from like two employees to literally like 50 or so within a year, several trucks, two kitchens and a reception hall. And it was all from just dominating, uh, the web with their, with their brand. Um, my friend was really good at like asking where the leads would come from and, and things like that. And we found that, you know, almost 98% of the business increase he was, was having was directly related to the web stuff I was doing. So that really is where it started. And for a while, that's what we did. We did a lot of SEO, a lot of link building um, and things like that. But uh, we started to get into a lot more visual as the web. One, like you said, where every quarter kind of 97th floor kind of tweaks and evolves. That's one thing that I feel that we've always been good at from the beginning is really adapting to the web. The web got very social and the web got very visual. And so a lot of our services kind of followed suit. We were one of definitely one of the first, if not the first um, company that had a strong core in like SEO and internet marketing to start doing infographics. Mm-hmm. Um, there were other companies, you know, they've been around forever. They've been around since, you know, earliest days of magazines and things like that. But really to do them on the web and really do them effectively, we were one of the first ones to really do that and leverage them for traffic and links and social shares and things like that. And so that really kind of spun us into the visual side of things. Um, and so now we do a lot of, you know, visual content and, and written content and things like that. Now it's full blown. We don't even consider, you know, us an SEO company anymore or digital marketing agency because pretty much from start to finish, we can help companies come up with the idea, create the idea and promote the idea um, all from start to finish all in house. And that, that's something I'm really proud of. There's a lot of quality to that. Mm-hmm. Also the, you know, let's talk about the culture as far as, um, you know, there's a lot of autonomy here. And I think that's what keeps us really fluid and adaptable, is my opinion. But how, what is your, your take on that and why the, the approach kind of deciding, let's give our people more autonomy? 
So I totally agree with you. And I agree on that's one of the strongest things of our culture and also of what makes our company so um, strong and yeah, and ever changing and growing and, and adaptable. The funny thing is it's so Wayne, our COO, he's been really good at like recognizing that and making sure that it's carried out throughout the company because he's always felt that I gave him that. Um, and that's what's made him enjoy his job so much and him enjoy what he does in 97th floor so much. And, and the culture of that, he had worked at other companies, um, in our same space and things like that. And so, but the funny thing is it wasn't anything where I decided like, you know what, I just want people to make their own decisions, have more freedom. And it wasn't that I didn't want them to. It's just that I'm, I'm actually really laid back and I just, I get my stuff done and I expect, and I expect other people to do it. And so it just kind of happened that way. I just would tell Wayne, like, here's, here's what to do. Here's the results I want for this client when he, when he first became one of our first employees. And then you go figure it out. And here's what I've done. And if you have questions, come and ask me and I'll help you, you know, cause I've been there before. So like you can definitely learn from my experience, but, um, it really just kind of happened because we were so busy when I finally started bringing on employees that I had so much to deal with that it kind of just, it kind of just happened. Um, because I didn't have time to micromanage. I've never really been a micromanager anyways. I'm very, I'm not, uh, organized at all. Um, I'm not like, I'm, yeah, and you know, you've traveled with me on stuff. <laughs> I'm super scatterbrained. I'm very in the moment. Um, and, you know, I have no idea what's going on 30 minutes from now, but that's how, you know, that's how I am or Wayne's the exact opposite. That's why we make a good team. But again, me being that way, kind of without knowing it kind of bred this, um, autonomy because you kind of had to do it to survive. And we had a lot of early employees that didn't kind of like, like it or like it cause they needed more structure and they needed more micromanaging. And there was kind of, um, some pain points there. Mm. I think that's pretty true because people say I want autonomy, but they don't actually want autonomy because what that is is yeah. responsibility. I, a yeah. lot they want of autonomy. They don't want responsibility yeah. and you can't have both. I think that's, um, you know, something that I appreciate about the environment is that you assume confidence in your people. And it's almost like until we prove you wrong, yeah, I pretty much know that I have your, your confidence in me when it comes yes. to clients, when it comes to the work, when it comes to new ideas. Um, also, the culture of learning is the same thing. You know, we we trust each other and everyone, yeah. you know, your decision to assume confidence in your leads and your digital marketers, people pick up on that when they're here and they assume confidence in each other, which is super powerful. That's great to hear because I do hope that you guys feel that way because I do have the utmost confidence in you because there's there's nothing more I hate in business at all. There's nothing more that upsets me more than losing a client. And I'm trusting you guys with, with our clients. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so there is a lot of confidence there, especially these world-class gigantic company clients. Um, and, uh, so that's good to hear. I'm glad that, that that's felt. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, let's, let's talk about that. We have a lot of world-class clients, you know, we won't name all the names because it's on the website and really that's not what, the show is about, but we do have these big names that are widely known. Um, you have received a number of awards, um, young CEO to watch, I think by, was it Utah Business Magazine? Um, Utah? Yeah, there's been a couple like that. My, yeah. fun, my fun one, the recent one in December was the one of the top 10 coolest entrepreneurs. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I thought that was cool because it's more kind of a quirky thing instead of just, you know, the buttoned up tie, the tie and all that stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you've had these, I mean, pretty massive successes, which at a, a very young age and, you know, clearly 97th floor is, is making waves and really, you know, coming into its own and like reaping all of the rewards as well. So there's the successes, but what I really wanted to talk about with you was my first question was, let's talk about failure. Yeah. I feel like that's way more compelling from a person like yourself. You know, we all see the successes, you know, they're out there, but what about the failures? I mean, for sure. Let's talk about the times that you failed or seemingly failed, which can feel like the same thing. Totally. Lessons learned. Yeah. Totally. So one, I'm hopelessly optimistic. So like to a fault. And so I really don't have any regrets. I definitely have failures, but I don't have any regrets because I always, one thing I like about being hopelessly optimistic is no matter what kind of crap hits the fan or hits you in the face, you, you don't want to be wrong. And so you find a way to turn that into a positive. And, um, so I have had a lot of like, quote unquote, we'd call failures, but I don't have any regrets. Um, in business and, and, and things like that. Um, couple, couple ones that stand out. So I was thinking about this when you sent it before. So one of the big ones, and again, this is something that has definitely like tortured me. And I've had times where I'm like, holy crap, like I missed a huge opportunity, but at the same time, I don't regret it because of how things have worked out. So in about 2006, 2007, um, dig.com was a really big social news site. Um, it was really helping a lot of us in the um, internet marketing space get a lot of traction and views and traffic to our articles where before, you know, we would write articles or do these things for our clients more to show up in Google and get traffic that way. I mean, we could write an article, I could get a new client, write an article and two days later, get them 250,000 new, you know, unique visitors to a site by having that article be front page on Dick or infographic or, or what have you video. Um, so I was, I was fell in love with it, started playing around with it a lot. Reddit at the same time was, was growing much smaller audience, but it was still growing. Um, now Reddit is definitely the forefront, you know, and digs pretty much disappeared. But, um, anyways, I created this tool called social media for Firefox. And what the tool was, was a Firefox extension that you could go to any website and you'd hit the button. This is before there were social share buttons. So pretty much the only thing out there you would have this is even before like Facebook like buttons and stuff would be like a dig button. There would be like a dig this button on people's uh, websites. Sometimes uh, there was like an email button and sometimes people that were even more on the forefront would have like the delicious save button, the bookmark button. Mm -hmm. Um, So I created a tool that created those buttons for all the social sites. I had Twitter, I had Facebook, I had stumble upon Reddit, dig um, a bunch to start. And so it kind of floated on your taskbar. Uh, so when you went to a website, you could hit the button and it would tell you how many shares that that site had because no one had that info on their website. But what was more importantly, with the reason why I created the tool, and this is kind of this is kind of um, one of those experiences where you don't realize what you created the tool might actually wasn't, shouldn't be what you grow the tool, like grow the product into be. And I didn't evolve. So here's, here's an example. I created the tool to find articles that were popular that hadn't been submitted to dig yet. So then you could be the first one to submit them to dig, which would then ensure that your account was tied to that article. And if that article went front page on dig, you would get a lot more followers to your dig account and you'd be more, a more popular dig account. So 
within like three months before I launched the tool, I used it privately. A couple friends and I uh, used it. And um, I built my account to be one of the top dig accounts right away um, by using this tool. Because what I would do is I'd go to Reddit and I would look for stories that were on the front page of Reddit. I'd hit my tool and next to each story on Reddit, it would show if it had been submitted to dig or not. And then I'd go submit it to dig first. And then everybody would start digging it and then it'd go popular and, you know, and then I'd get more friends. So anyways, I launched the tool and within the first like three days, it had over 500,000 downloads, which is crazy. Like even still to this day, like if you launch something and got 500,000 like downloads or emails or anything, you know, any kind of opt-in response in in literally a week would be still crazy. And this is in 2007 when like, you know, stuff didn't go viral near as much as it does now. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously it was like, successful, but what I didn't, what I didn't pay attention to was everybody loved it just to know how many social shares, like the stuff they were reading was getting. They wanted the like buttons and the share buttons on the content and it wasn't there. And so they were using it for that. I was assuming because my close circle of friends thought it was because of the dig tool and building a really big dig account. And so I focused a lot of my energy on that. And a couple, you know, a couple months after that tool launched things like, uh, shareaholic and a couple, a couple other of these really big share companies that are now humongous companies who have either been acquired or had millions of dollars invested in, you know, and things like that came out and grew. Um, share this definitely was one of the first ones. Um, and I could have been the share this, you know, back then. Now at, there's, so there was times back close to that when I realized like I missed the boat, dig died, it d- disappeared. Um, and really my, you know, this huge audience that I built, I didn't nurture it at all. So I didn't have an email opt-in list where I kept people nurtured. They would only be updated if I updated the tool. And so I just didn't really take advantage of it. Now at the same time, 97 floor was really growing and the tool helped me get a lot of speaking gigs and get a lot of notoriety because it was so successful. So it really helped kind of build my name and 97 floor names congruently. So in that respect, like I've always wanted to do advertising and kind of have more of an advertising agency as a business. And that's where I am now. So I'm, I don't regret that I didn't do it, but it was a huge missed opportunity. Um, I don't think that I would really enjoy like running a software company. So I don't think that that's something where I really would have wanted to end up. And maybe that's why I didn't, but it definitely was a failure in the sense of like, I had a huge opportunity that I didn't like nurture. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, I don't regret it at all because if that would have grown and gotten huge, 97th floor would be nowhere. I probably would have cut it. And um, because at the time I didn't have, you know, a huge amount of employees and things like that, it would have been easy to like stop focusing on 97th floor and, and grow that software business. Um, and uh, um, I'm glad that I didn't. Yeah, that would have been a completely different direction. Oh, totally different. It's I mean, also a really here. impressive failure. Yeah. <laughs> for to, to feel like hurt? that big. Yeah. Like, that's really impressive. <laughs> um, I got a lot like that. I launched a dating site really early on with some buddies, and we had, like, critical mass right off the bat. I mean, hundreds of thousands of users, if not millions of users. This is before spam laws, and my brother built a tool that went into college websites and scraped every student's email address. So literally, we launched this dating site, and, like, within, like, 
two days, we had like 900,000 visitors to the site, <laughs> all from this email blast we did, the spider that my brother built. And like literally like eight months later, like uh, the FTC and stuff came out and was like, yeah, you'd be in jail for that now if you did that. <laughs> um, but uh, at the time, it was totally legal. But um, what's funny, so it totally, same thing, totally grew and like was doing really, really well. And this is like on the cusp of hot or not. It was like a tweak of that. And uh but at the same time, I didn't know. I had no idea. I, I was really good at driving traffic and like getting awareness. I had no idea how to nurture anything because I had no experience. I had never been there before. And none of my friends did either, people that I was surrounded with. And uh, I just kind of missed the boat on the nurturing side um, with that too. And so it died off. It dwindled off. We had too many cooks in the kitchen on the business side. There was too many problems on the website side because we weren't nurturing people. We, were, we didn't have a high retention rate. And uh, so we kind of cut it there. But kind of the same idea, right? Like where I, you know, something worked right off the bat and then I kind of learned from it to, to kind of not nurture it and things like that. Um, I have some other ones not in 97th floor, but just in entrepreneurial where I um, thought I should be into real estate investing. And this was, this is one of those things where you should never do anything just to make money. You should only do stuff that you're passionate about. And I was not passionate about real estate at all. I thought, you know, it just, it, there's so many nuances with it. It's such a headache. Getting mortgages is a headache. Dealing with agents is a headache. All that, there's just so many headaches and so many people involved. And I really don't like that either. I don't like having a lot of, I don't like having to rely on other people for my success. Mm -hmm. um, totally different now with a company because we're all one. We're doing it together. But in real estate, like there's people that have, do not have your best interest at heart that are totally, can totally affect whether you're successful or not. And I don't like that. Um, but anyways, so I went down to Vegas, bought a bought some houses and literally lost everything. Like they, they, I bought them right before the market crashed. I didn't have the money to support the mortgages. Um, and, uh, I had the money to buy them, but not to keep them. Like if they didn't sell, my plan was to flip them and they didn't sell. And so a couple I bailed out of before I got the mortgage and I lost my earnest deposit and things like that. And that was actually at the time seemed like a bad thing, but in retrospect was like one of the best decisions I made a couple. I was too far down the line and I had closed on literally like a month. I closed on one before the market crashed and then the market crashed and I couldn't sell it. I couldn't rent it. I couldn't do anything with it. It was worth like, like uh, half of what I paid for it, like literally a couple months before. Mm -hmm. um, so I held on to it for a year and it took everything from me. Any money that I had been making or saving from 97 floor was gone. I was living off credit cards. I was uh, um, borrowing money from my dad to be able to keep, I had a house in Utah, you know, the a starter home my wife and I just moved into. We just had twins and the medical bills were out of control because of uh, C-section and all that stuff. And so it really like, took me to town and I was buying like milk and diapers on credit cards and stuff like that. And, uh, and as crazy and like, and as stressful as it was like laying there in bed every night, like, how am I gonna do this? And like, I am, you know, feeling like the biggest failure in the world. Like, why would I put my young family and kids and stuff through this? You know, why would I, as the head of the household, why, like, why did I do this? And there was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of negativity. There was a lot of stuff, but in retrospect, I am so glad that it happened um, because all a lot of resilience came from it too. My wife and I um, 
stepped it up and we were like, you know what, we're going to budget. We're going to, um, we're going to be smart and we're going to get out of this and we're never going to go back to this again. And so it really made us kind of really strong and, and, um, resilient and really kind of just pissed off at like (laughs) the situation and just realizing, you know, no one's going to get us out of this. We got to get ourselves out of it. And there's a lot of people that get there and give up and, you know, um, uh, we didn't even do foreclosures. Like we didn't do anything. So we got out of it. We sold the house for way less, you know, than we paid for it, but we, at least we were done paying payments on it. And, um, uh, we, my dad, I owned my dad a considerable amount of, amount of money and we paid him off within a year from that. And, uh, the next thing you know, we, you know, we never looked back and, um, 97 floor was really a good, like focusing on the business, um, that it made me hyper focus on the business because I was, I felt in control. Um, if I wanted a bigger paycheck, I needed to go get more clients. And so it was really cool because it kind of helped me realize like I could really be in control of my own destiny. And, um, so it was a really good failure. It was uh, it was something that I'm really grateful for because I've never looked back and I never want to be there again. And so I'm a lot smarter and you know focused and and a little bit more apprehensive on you know I really haven't done any investments since then. I've always put my money or my time back into 97th floor because that's always given me a positive ROI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is like really moving, very compelling to know that. Because I think we all have this like perspective of people who have succeeded. Like uh-huh. somehow they're just more lucky than I or the next person yeah. or they got in at a very fortunate time. But to know that you know, you'd already started 97th floor, um, this thing, you know, the market crash, like all these things kind of added up. But the, that hyper focus, um, the... I mean, how humbling. I mean, yeah. seriously. It taught me to to only focus on one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. If you focus on multiple things, you're just going to do multiple things half bad. You know, if you focus on if you focus on even two things, you're doing both those things 50% as good as you could. Mm-hmm. And whatever one has more squeaky wheels is going to get your attention. And then the other one, you're going to do even worse. So it really ends up being more 80-20, where one gets 80% of your attention and the other one basically fails. And for a while, my solution was always like, oh, I just need like another website or another business or something like that. And then I sat, I was sitting there one time and um, a friend of mine kind of pointed it out to me too. He's like, you love what you're doing with 97th floor. It's working. Why don't you just put 100% of your in- your energy into that? And once I did that, it was like no looking back. That's super interesting. Also on, I mean, it probably is the same thing, but clarity, like, did you get really clear about what was important to you in those moments? Absolutely. <laughs> totally realizing like, why, why am I doing this anyways? Um, yeah. And it really helped me focus on family and the reason, you know, I'm doing this is to, to provide, not only provide for my family, but provide a good life for my family where I can have a good schedule and hang out with them. And my dad was a pharmacist and, uh, every day he would come home and say, don't be a pharmacist and, uh, don't do it. Like he went to school forever. He followed that fifties notion of you got to go to school, get a degree. And then, you know, you go get in the workforce. He, um, he hated it. He, you know, you're, if you think about pharmacy, it's one of the worst things ever because your clients are sick people. Mm-hmm. So they're always in bad moods. Even someone who is generally in a good mood like myself, when I'm sick, I'm totally, you know, you don't, you don't want to hang around me. Um, 
so your clients are like the the people with the worst attitude in the world coming in all day and then you have to work a lot of Saturdays and stuff too and so he was always you know he'd make our games and make sure he would do that but it was still you know we, he was he wasn't as home or wasn't home as often as he would have liked to be and he just always reminded us so that was something that he taught me early on too is trying to really find something that you can be in kind of control of your destiny and the real estate situation really helped me realize that too because I realized my actions put me in a scenario where I had less choices and I felt more binded um, and uh, I really didn't like that feeling I did really didn't like the fact that um, you know the actions that I chose the greedy actions that I chose put me in a position to where I had less less choices mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you brought up one thing as far as um, this notion of going to school you know, and from there, like everything will just line up. Um, you know, you know personally that that's not exactly true. You made a decision, but I remember you telling me at one point, like it wasn't this like casual decision. Um, th- you know, you felt conflicted, but you made a choice that was, um, you know, different than you know yeah. people around you. And so, what? Maybe expand on that. I always yeah. Think let that's me preface real quick, and I'm not ragging on school a hundred percent. If it if one, if you want to be a doctor or a nurse, like that's your passion, you have to go to school. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. And I have, and more power to you. I mean, we need those people. I'm not, I don't want to be those people, but, um, uh, but, it, but on a lot of things, a lot of people feel that just school fixes their issues, especially in business and stuff, going and getting business degrees and things like that, where, um, I feel like my mentality is just get out and do it and learn as you go. And you'll, you'll get there quicker. You'll, um, you're going to have a little bit more bumps, but it'll be more fun, more exciting. And, and you, in my opinion, you can get there quicker, um, and learn more quicker. Um, I'd rather learn from like the school of hard knocks in my opinion, but yeah, it was a big thing for me. So my mom and dad both have degrees. Um, pretty much everybody, my mom's from a family of eight kids and I'm pretty sure every single one of them has a degree, um, in one way, shape or form. Half of them are dentists. And, uh, my grandpa was a dentist and, um, it's also a testament to my wife cause she was very supportive of, supportive of me, um, as well, because I remember when her and I had decided and word had gotten out and my parents have always been a hundred super supportive of everything I've done. Um, so when I told them I was going to do it and quit school, they just, they supported me and, um, had, con- and that may be kind of what you said in the beginning with the confidence from those you look up to. Mm-hmm that gave me a lot of confidence. Like I can do this. Like my parents are supporting me. Um, and, uh, my grandma found out we're at a Christmas party and she pulled my wife aside and it was just in the nicest way she could, but just like railing into her of like how it was the biggest mistake we were ever going to make. We were going to lose like everything we were gonna, (laughs) you know, like it was a disaster and you have children and you know, and like all this stuff. And, uh, and I heard it from a lot of people, a lot of people. And, um, but it was funny because my grandparents were, uh, were definitely one of the ones that were having a really hard time with it because again, their, their eight kids all had degrees, dentists, you know, all that stuff. Um, but you know, the thing is, it's like all of them had gone to school till they were in their thirties and then they finally become a apprentice at a dentist. And then they're finally in their late thirties when they're running, you know, doing, they're all, they all own their own dentistries now. But it took them a while and they had a bunch of debt, you know, on the way too. And again, if you love teeth and you want to be a dentist and that's your passion, then totally do it. Um, but that make that your decision. Don't make the decision to go to school just because you were told to. Um, 
But anyways, it's funny because now I speak at colleges and stuff, and now my grandparents' tune has changed where they brag that their grandson hasn't gone to college, but he speaks at colleges. So <laughs> now, I, now I benefit them in their, their pinochle stories or their you know, bocce ball stories. That so, Chris, yeah. he just might make it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it's funny. And my brother and I, we were kind of the first two grandkids to kind of break off and do that. And, and um, we had a, another cousin who's in sales, but working for a company in sales. And our grandparents would refer to him for the longest time as the entrepreneur of the family. And, and it just, just pissed me off. Um, because I'm very competitive, but also I was just like, he works for someone else. Like, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm sitting here, I got my kids and I'm, I'm, uh, um, risking everything to try to build this business and I wasn't getting credit, but I'm actually kind of glad for it, whether they know, knew it or not, because it definitely, again, that resilience, it just made me more, gave me more gumption to really go out and prove everybody wrong. The other thing I want to say with that too, is I have changed my tune a little bit in realizing you don't have to be at the top or like the boss to be an entrepreneur. Like you said in the beginning with the autonomy thing, mm-hmm. um, you can be, and I feel like that's one thing, you know, with the autonomy in our company, we have a lot of entrepreneurs in our company and a lot of stuff has uh, evolved, come about, changed because of that entrepreneurial spirit and because of the ideas of our employees. It took Wayne a while, our COO, to, he's always, you know, felt the need to be entrepreneurial. It took him a while for me to convince him that what he was doing was very entrepreneurial and no different than someone than me who had started the business because he's been so detrimental to growing the business and done so many things that I never would have done, um, again, because of my personality. But, um, and there's no way we'd be where we are with, you know, 30 something, almost 40 employees and the clients we have in a beautiful office. If it wasn't for Wayne and his entrepreneurial spirit, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for your entrepreneurial spirit and you coming to me and Wayne and saying, Hey, I want to do a podcast. So you don't have to, start a business or, you know, be at the top to be an entrepreneur. Uh, if a lot of people can have that same satisfaction, uh, mm-hmm. within their workplace. Oh, totally. I mean, I remember I started my business in 2011 and, you know, it's like a crash course in, you know, at that time I had been to school, I had my master's plus I had a lot of years of experience with corporate, but you start a business and that is like, you learn everything at an accelerated rate because you have to. Yeah. And I know like my first conversations with Wayne, I was actually convincing Wayne, like you really, I don't fit like into this dynamic. Um, You know, I'm a very, like I, I need full autonomy and he's Mm -hmm. the one that convinced me, like take a closer look at 97.4. And yeah, I get my entrepreneurial like investment. I get to bring ideas to the table, but then I also get what I was missing before, which was surrounding myself with like-minded people on a daily basis, which provides the support. It provides like, you just up-level everything that you're doing. You do. Whether it is to actually compete, because there's there's competitiveness around here. Oh, for sure. um, In a really great way, or to just keep up sometimes. Yeah. So and then work becomes enjoyable. It does for those reasons. It does yep. become much more like playful, but also you know, like if you're super frustrated, you can vent to someone about something, and they know that you're not that it's not going to affect your work. It's yeah, just you're not like, being detrimental. You're just brainstorming and yeah. And, Let yep. me just drop some swear words, and then I'll be okay. <laughs> <You> <laughs> <know>? <laughs> yes, um, for sure. And 
Yeah, I mean, and that's that's where I've one thing I've been really proud of is um, how many times I've heard from employees where they're like, "Dude, Sunday night or like Monday morning or whatever, even you know, past hump day, Thursday morning, like I'm genuinely excited to come into work," mm-hmm. and uh, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, and it definitely impacts um, you know the client, what the clients it does get at the end of the day. Yep. So, yeah. Um, so okay, so that was awesome awesome, you know, Q and a right there on the failure part. The next question I had was advice as far as tips, tricks, or, um, I really think it's interesting, like debunked myths, you know, advice people yeah. give that you're like, mm, maybe not totally. the case, but yeah. So first and foremost, do more than you read. Um, and I'm someone that reads a lot, uh, but, and I'm all about like, um, Continuing education, whether it's in school or out of school, you know, just someone, just being someone who always wants to learn more and do more. But take everything you read one with a grain of salt in the sense that you got to go test that and see if it's true for you. Because I found it's kind of funny because I'm really, I've really kind of taken this path um, in the health, in the health world too, and you know personally. But I've really gotten to um, change my diet. I've gotten a lot healthier. My high, my thyroid was going to fail my adrenal glands failed all this stuff because of how, what I was doing, I was working out too much and I was eating too less because that's what I was told to do. And I flipped that where now, you know, I literally work out once a week and I eat awesome food, but, um, I've lost all the weight. Now I feel amazing and all this stuff. And it's exactly the same with the marketing world is, um, there's so much stuff out there. There's so much fluff because they're really just trying to promote themselves, promote their company, um, things like that. You got to take it with a grain of salt and you um, really got to test it for yourself. Do not take people's word for it. I even say when I speak, like, look, I'm showing you what works for us, but your business is different. And especially on the web, every business is different. And the web is so unique that not there's no one direct path to success. Um, like, for example, there's certain things we do for our clients that we don't even do for ourselves for 97th floor because it doesn't, it's not worth the, the investment mm-hmm. for us. So, like, we barely blog. Um, and I know, you know, there's a lot of other companies that do it a lot and they swear by it and things like that. But we just, our company has never slowed in growth. You know, we've never um, had a, a time where we're lacking or wanting for leads. Um, and so we focus on the things that are doing, you know, what works for us. Um, and uh, so again, my biggest like debunk or thing like that is really just do more than, than you bring in, put out more than you bring in and really just test and try. Make sure though you really are testing, like you really have analytics or um, tools or things to really track before and afters um, and learn from that. And you'll learn just from testing stuff out, you'll learn far more than, you know, a thousand blog posts that you would read. Um, even if it's a little, like maybe you have a side hobby, maybe you like to whittle wood or play the guitar or whatever, set up a little website around that and um, just test stuff out in an environment that's not high stressful and you're not, you know, I would never tell my employees to test stuff out on our clients, right? Like that's not the right thing to do, but set up scenarios and set up places. We do a lot of testing on 97th floor. We put 97th floor to a full SSL secure um, uh, website, you know, HTTPS and all that stuff far before and tested that out. 
um, far before we recommended it to our clients because we had read people saying they had good experiences with it, but it wasn't something we wanted to say until we could back it up. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's my that's my biggest thing. It's kind of boring. I always like when I go travel. There's um, and speak a lot of times they'll be like okay we're gonna have you guys like give your one silver bullet tip and I always feel like I'm the boring guy because my tip is that there is no silver bullet it's really just hard work and testing and just trying and just getting off your butt and going and doing um, and that's that's true outside of marketing and business too. just anything in life um, you're not gonna ever get anywhere you want to go until you get up and go do it you know and, and go try it even if you suck at it just by trying, you're going to learn. That's going to be the quickest way to learn, and you're going to get better, and you're going to get to where you want to go far quicker than reading 50 books about it but never trying it. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you a follow-up question to that. What? So I totally agree with this, and a lot of times um, I could be prone to just immerse myself in reading and research because I find it really fascinating. But I know that about myself, so I know that I have to force myself to just jump and, like, go for it and then learn as I'm going, like with my first podcast. Um, but I, as I kind of, like, worked back from that, I realized I was just super afraid of it, like, failing or flopping or, you know, whatever, looking ridiculous. I mean, do you think those are the reasons that people tend to – you're like, oh, well, you know, just, you know, keep researching or something instead of doing the work. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I think that has to do with life, too. I think a lot of people keep going back to school for multiple degrees because they're scared to actually go out and do stuff, too. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, it's a, and it's a way to look like you're doing stuff. So people will get off your back like, oh, oh, cool, you're going back for your master's or, you know, this or that. Like, it's kind of like this false respect thing. Not, again, if that's where you need to go to do what you want to do, I'm totally for it. But I feel like there is a lot of people that do it just to get their parents and friends off their back because they haven't figured out life yet. Um, and so it's like, it's like a fake try. Like my son, one of my sons, I have twins, and so I, I, we look at them, whether we like it or not, in under magnifying glass because they're twins. They're, they look exactly the same. They're the same age, all that stuff. One of them, he's, he's very smart. They're both smart, but he he knows how to look like he's trying at sports when he's really not. And I've coached him his whole life, so I know what trying looks like and what it doesn't. And so there's these times where, like, they'll be playing a tough team that comes out strong and just kind of scares him. And I can tell the whole rest of the game he's doing exactly what he needs to so the coach doesn't yell at him, but he's not impacting the game at all, at all. And um, so he'll run for the ball, but, like, at the last second – he'll let the other kid get it. So he doesn't have to be the one that shoots, you know, and, and, or, you know, messes up. And it's funny because it's this total mental thing. And I think it's the same way. Um, we're scared to try. We're scared to fail. We're scared of what other people will look for us. He's scared that the coach is going to yell at him. He doesn't realize that by giving it 110%, the coach will actually be more proud of him by, you know, kicking a bad shot or, or whatever, if he gave it his all, then he will be by, you know, giving it 60% and never failing, but never succeeding either. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what happens. You get in this limbo of never failing, but never succeeding. And in my opinion, that's failing. Like you can't really stay flat forever. You either need to go up or down. And if you're not doing things to push yourself to go up, then you're going to go down and uh, whether you like it or not. And so I do agree with you. I think a lot of it is both, society failure what will people think of me you know what will my grandparents say oh everybody's gonna say see told you everybody 
especially in business and in anything really. Anything you do, whenever you do anything against the grain, everybody is ready and jumping at the opportunity to say, I told you so. <laughs> and it sucks because that's how our society is. But um, like it's the same way with, uh, with everything. I mean, it, I mean, everybody is just ready to tell you they told you so because they want to keep in that comfort zone of feeling like they um, – you know, oh, I didn't, I see, I didn't, I was right. I shouldn't have tried because I would have just failed. So it's better not to try at all. And it's totally, totally the wrong way of thinking. So what do you say to those people? Well, one, I always find a way to twist it, right? So it turns into a success because that's just the way my brain works. But because <laughs> I'm never going to, I, I, there, if there's anything I, I do not want someone to tell me I'm so stubborn is that they told me so. So <laughs> I'll, t I'll already have an argument set up before they, that conversation comes up so I can twist it back around to where I'm the winner out of that conversation. But two, you know, really it does come down to just like, well, at least I tried. Like now I know, right? I can move on. I know. And uh, now I know why and I, now I have experience. So there's much more knowledge that comes from that. You, you know, true knowledge really only comes from trying mm -hmm. and then evaluating the outcome. And, uh, and so... Yeah, I mean, that would be my argument is like, hey, at least I know now, and uh, um, now I can move forward. Now I can cross that off the list. Seriously, like what's the bigger failure? Just never knowing, never yeah. trying? <laughs> yeah, totally. And that, and 99% of the world thinks that way, that it's not a failure to just sit there and not try because it's like this, the safe zone. Um, but in, in my opinion, I mean, life is for living, and so you got to go try. And, fit in, and really, for the most part, um, you can come back from any failure and you'll always come back stronger. And in the long term, like I want to have a lot of failures in my life, but I don't want to have a lot of regrets. And I think that's how people should look at it. Um, I think people kind of synony you know, look at synonymously look at regrets and failures as the same thing. And they're not, mm -hmm. it's not at all. True. True. Yeah. Now. So the last question that I had for you was um, about legacy and what is it that you, Chris Bennett, hope to be remembered for? I was thinking about this. This is hard. I'm one of those people that don't put a lot of thought into this kind of stuff because I, know, I just I knew I'm, I knew this was going to be a hard one for you. Because <laughs> just like just like with the secret sauce question, because I just want to go out and do it. Like just I'll do it, and whatever ends up being my legacy, like that was what my legacy was supposed to be. Um, as long as I was doing my best and trying my best, but I do have some specifically for my kids. I want my kids to grow up and see from me that they really like, and my parents instilled this in me and they kind of instilled it in me by realizing they hadn't done this, um, long story. So probably have to be for a separate podcast, but they were really good at instilling this in me. Um, and my wife was really awesome at, and at solidifying that with me when we first were dating and married and stuff. But I want my kids to know that no matter what, they can do whatever they want. Like literally they can do anything they want. Um, and really they need to focus. They need to try a lot of stuff and focus on and then find what they love and then go and do that. And I don't care if it's right now they want to be in the NBA. And, and if I think about it on a, on a deep enough level, if they really wanted to be in the NBA, they totally could, even though they're six foot tall and, you know, um, all the, you know, all the other stuff that, or I don't know if they're going to be six foot tall or not, but that's how tall I am. But it's like six foot tall and the NBA isn't that tall, but you look at guys like John Stockton and, and Steve Nash, they did it. Right. And so 
if they really wanted to do it, they could. So I'm supporting them that in that endeavor right now. If they wanted to be anything, um, as long as it's a positive thing, I'm going to support them. And I just want them to have that. I don't want them to have those barriers in their mind of like, I shouldn't try because it's worthless or it's so hard to, to be that person or to be that, that it's not worth the trying. Um, so that's a legacy that I really want to instill in not just my kids, but people around me is that really life is at your fingertips and you, how you experience life is up totally up to you. We cannot choose what happens to us from other people. Other people can make decisions that affect us, but we can totally choose how we react to that and how we come back for that. And, um, so that's another thing that I'm really big on too. I'm, I'm actually kind of a, um, I don't know for lack. I don't know what I, I want to kind of swear almost on a word to describe myself. But when it comes to excuses, I'm kind of a prick. Um, I really don't believe in them because I feel like I've been there where I lost everything and bought diapers and milk on credit cards. And, um, and yeah, I probably had better environment than other people in how I grew up. I had loving parents that always encouraged me to try and other people don't, you know, they have abusive situations and things like that. But but I, I came from there and I, there's a million other people that have come from way even deeper, darker places than me and been successful. And so I just really don't like excuses. I don't think that there's any reason for it. Even if you want to blame your health or that you don't feel good, there's, I don't buy that either. Go research what you're doing. If what you're eating and how you're, how you're exercising isn't helping you get better, then change it and do something different. Um, so it really comes back to that doer mentality, but I really want um, people to you know, not have excuses, just to go and do and try and be the best they can and really just enjoy life, figure out different things, you know, a schedule, um, a work environment, whether it's a job or a business or whatever it is to enjoy life. Maybe you like your job, but you don't love it. So have a hobby that you love, you know, just life is meant to enjoy it. We do it once and we need to um, make the best out of it. And there's really no excuse not to. And if you're not enjoying life, it, you're the only one to blame. Um, not anybody else. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would want that to be my legacy and also not be afraid to be weird and try stuff. I mean, I drink, I drink butter every morning. Right. And that's uh, <laughs> like so many people in my family think that I'm crazy and I'm clogging my arteries, but I'm convinced from the research and the study and I've done and how I feel the testing, I've been doing it for five, six months that, uh, and, and I get my blood work done. So I have the analytics, you know, my cholesterol is lower than it's ever been and I'm healthier than I've ever been. And so not be afraid to go against the grain and really own it too. I can attest that you are 100% okay with being weird. <laughs> I am. I love it. I'm all about against the grain and being weird and different for sure. I appreciate well, that. That Well, I think those are really very compelling legacies. And you're also, you're living it. It's not, that's probably why I, I knew this one would be hard for you is because you are more in pace with let me show rather than tell people, yeah. you know? So, um those do definitely, um, those are a great reflection of what I see as far as what you're living. So I think that's, that's exceptional. That's awesome to hear. Appreciate that. But yeah, it's always hard for me to think of those questions because I don't think that way. Yeah, for sure. So um, that was all the questions that I had for you. Did you have any questions that you wanted to kind of throw out there or discuss? I mean, we've, we've already gone over like double the time that we planned on, but it's been super, super compelling. I have to turn this into a two-part series. I know, I know. Um, no, I think that's good. I, I mean, I, I feel like I definitely talked your ear off. I, uh, um, But I think that was, I think um, there was a lot of good stuff there and um 
yeah, I mean, you know, again, I love what I do. I'm the luckiest guy around. The, a luck, luck. I do believe in luck, but I only believe in luck if you put yourself in a situation to receive it. Mm-hmm. Um, so things definitely happen that can that are just kind of crazy and out of nowhere, and that can be called lucky or intervention or however you want to call them. But you have to be ready for that. Um, you know, if, if if we were if I went and pitched some huge company before I was ready for it, we wouldn't close that company. And there's times where we didn't, right? And so, you know, you learn from that and um, and you go from there. So, uh, yeah, no, I think that was really good. Super smart. So, no, if our listeners want to learn more about you, we will have everything on our website, contact information for 97th Floor. But, I mean, is it – do they find you on Twitter? Is that the Twitter place? and LinkedIn are probably the places where I, like, talk and share the most stuff. I'm most, most active, for okay. sure. And we'll include – for our listeners, we'll include Chris's uh, username, but it is Chris Bennett on Twitter, and that's two N's, two T's, and we'll make sure to have links to, to his account. But be – you know, make sure that you follow him, add him, and keep updated because he does share a lot of really great stuff, pretty compelling stuff. Um, that is a wrap for our show today. Chris Bennett, thank you so much for joining us, um, for, for sharing everything, taking time. Thank you. Appreciate it. And to our audience, thank you for listening in. Until next time, take care. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to like and subscribe. You can also catch us at 97floor.com where we'll have show notes and links to resources. Or you can catch us on our YouTube channel where we have more in-depth conversations and how-tos on all things digital marketing, business, culture, and thought leadership. Until next time.